today's reading will be from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, from the New International Version. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 21. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Still have the new hat on, guys. I think I can use that for a while, I think. Okay, so is it working now? No, not yet. I, I, this, is, this works. It's good. So good morning once again. Let's, let's, let's rewind that and let's uh, redo. Good morning once again. And I'd just like to take this opportunity now to greet everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, this month, we are uh, embarking on a sermon series that we have called Jesus, Son of God. And we said that uh, we're doing this because we want to take advantage of the, of the uh, fact that most of the world is thinking about Jesus at this time. That many are receptive to the message of hope, of love, and of joy at this time. So, uh, Sean and I designed the series so that we are going to be reminded once again of who Jesus is how amazing uh, he has been for us as individuals, to us as a church, and to the world. So that said, in our first lesson in this series, Sean talked to us about Jesus' birth and death, that the arrival of Jesus on earth signaled a new ray of hope for the world as Jesus thought about his one mission while he was here on earth, to die on the cross for that, for our sins. And his death on the cross as well, enabled him to become the personification of the, the grace of God to us. And that's our lesson two. Last week for lesson three, Sean talked to us about Jesus being more than just a good man. Jesus was both completely human and completely God at the same time. He existed before the world began. And Jesus uh, became, uh, uh, was the word who became flesh 
and dwelt with us here on earth. So for lesson number four, we are going to conclude this sermon series this morning, today. So it's a special day in a way. Uh, but uh, as I introduce the topic this morning, I'd like to introduce you two people in our midst today that are visiting us. And it's uh, Linda's parents. Linda's parents are here from Montreal. So uh, uh, please uh, welcome them um, during the break. Uh, they're here with us for, for Christmas, and I told you that uh, I was, I was going to introduce them, and they were, and, and were going to help introduce our lesson today. So like, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to tell you their names, and you will know exactly that it's an excellent introduction to our lesson this morning. Their names are Grace and Victor. Did you guys get that? Is that amazing? Grace and Victor. So... Two weeks ago, we talked about, oh, hold on a second there. We talked about uh, God's grace. That God's grace for us translates into uh, God's mercy and forgiveness, which in turn translates into our salvation that we don't even deserve. And that salvation turns us into victors through God's grace. Do you guys see that? And that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. We're going to talk about this morning about the fact that Jesus is our salvation. And when we talk about salvation, we inevitably will talk about good news. And that is what we are going to do today. We're going to talk about the gospel of Jesus today. I said earlier that many in the world are thinking about Jesus at this time. And I think it is the best use of our time this morning. I think it's the best way to take advantage of the fact that Jesus in people, or is in people's minds and hearts at this time. And uh, we, we want to appreciate the salvation that comes only from Jesus. And I think the fact that we have salvation in Jesus is the good news, the gospel, that the world needs to hear and be reminded of today, this season. But where do we start? Where do we start? So when we talk about good news, I don't know if, if, if you're like me. I think about good news, and I think, well, why did it become good news in the first place? If you're like me, you'd think, well, because there's bad news somewhere, right? Or bad news that we can attach to it. So kind of like when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, Jay, I have uh, good news and bad news. Which one, do you want to hear, which one do you want to hear first? In our salvation, it's the same thing. Before we can truly appreciate the good news, that we have in Jesus, we need to come to grips with the bad news first. And that's what we're going to do today. For our lesson, we're going to talk about the bad news and the good news. And we will focus, obviously, more on the good news. Okay? So let's start with the bad news. The bad news is that there's a problem. And it's our problem. That problem is sin. Much of the world don't think don't, don't think much of that. They think lightly of sin. Much of the world don't think, well, it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal. Because sin, in 1 John 3 verse 4, tells us that everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. And this fact is true that everyone has sinned. And this is echoed in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us has done it. No excuses, no, uh, no, uh, no exceptions. 
And since we have done that, we, we see exactly why this becomes a problem. Because we have done that, we have strained our relationship with our God. In Isaiah 59 verse 2, we read, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he may not hear. Our sin has blocked us from God. Our sin has hindered us from a relationship with God. Our sin has created a vast chasm between us and our Father. Why? Well, because God does not like sin. He hates it. In Psalm 92, verse 15, The Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no wickedness in him. How much wickedness is in him? Nothing. Zero. And in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, we read that, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. One of the most recognizable traits that our God has is that he is holy. He is holy. And because of that, we have a problem. You see, a holy God and a sinful people. The fact that he is holy tells us exactly what we are in front of him. And the Apostle Paul tells us exactly what that looks like. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 and 12, this is what Paul says that we are like in front of God because of our sin problem. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. We are separated from Christ. We are excluded from citizenship in God's kingdom. We are foreigners to the covenant of promise. We are without hope. That is who we are. And I'm going to put it even simpler. The scriptures put it even more simpler to us. This problem that we have with sin. And we see that in, also we are without God in the world. But in Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. The problem that we have in sin is that it leads to death. No, when sin came to, to the world, death came. But this is not only talking about physical death. It's talking about eternal death. It's talking about the death of our souls. I'm going to put it even more plainly, and it's going to sound harsh, but this is the fact of the matter. The problem with sin is that it is going to put us to hell. It makes me cringe saying that, but that is the fact of the matter. But that is the problem that we have with sin. Now, that's the bad news. Let's go to the good news. The good news is that there's a solution. And it's not our solution. It is God's solution. And this is where the good news comes into play. Because the good news and the solution is Jesus. How? Well, we had the first indication in our scripture reading today. Uh, uh, our, part of our scripture reading is Matthew 1, 20-21. It reads, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Salvation is right in his, is right in his name. Isn't that amazing? See, Jesus' name is actually Yeshua in, in Hebrew. But if you translated that into the English, it's Joshua. 
Now you're probably thinking, why do we call, why don't we call Jesus Joshua? Why do we call him Jesus? Well, the New Testament was written in Greek. And in Greek, Yeshua is Jesus. Do you guys see it? The English of that is Jesus. But whatever you call Jesus, whatever language you are, uh, you use to call Jesus, his name means the same. It has salvation in it. Kind of like what, uh, what Shakespeare said in his play, Romeo and Juliet. That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. It means it doesn't matter what you call Jesus. His name is the same. It means the same. I think in Cantonese, you say Yesu for Jesus. But it doesn't matter how you say it. His name means the Lord is salvation. Jesus is our salvation because his name bears it. That's why in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the first part. We saw that earlier. But look at the second part of that. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, that is the crux of the good news that we have. So let's focus on that good news. We said we were going to focus on the good news. If somebody asks you what the good news is, what would you tell them? See, as Christians, it behooves us to really know this. To know without beyond the shadow of a doubt what the gospel is and what, what it means to us. In a broader term, the gospel or good news is really the whole of scripture. Because our good news centers around Jesus and the scriptures centers around Jesus. Everything in there is good news to us. But in a much broader, in a, in a much narrower sense, in a more specific sense, the good news has certain elements to it that lead us to how Jesus was our salvation. How Jesus became the solution that God has for us so that we can proclaim the good news to the world today. The Apostle Paul tells us what those elements are of that good news, of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, first two verses, Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So Paul is telling the church, I'm going to remind you of the gospel, the good news. It's in, in this good news, they received, they stand by, and because of this gospel, they were saved. But what is this gospel? Well, he continues in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as the first importance. Let's stop there for a sec. He says that this gospel is of first importance. It's the first thing that we tell people when we share them our faith. How to be saved. It's the first thing that we really need to keep in mind when we think about our faith. Now, here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What's the gospel? Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. That's the good news today. That has been the good news that Christians have hung their faith on all these years. Why is that good news? Jesus died for our sins. Remember what the wages of sin 
was. Remember that Romans in, in the book of Romans chapter 3 verse 23? Or 6 verse 23? It's death. But the good news is Jesus died for us. We don't have to do it. He did it. Why is his burial part of the good news? Well, because the fact that he was buried proved that he was successful. He did it. He accomplished that mission. He actually died. But then the resurrection tops it all. Because of the resurrection, the first two actually make sense. The first two is not nullified. Because he is resurrected, it is huge for us Christians. Number one, because what Jesus said and claimed while he was on earth is actually true. That he said he was God. He was the son of God. If he was God, he would not be detained by death. He would have risen, and he did. And second of all, and I think equally important, the reason why he raised and why it's important for us is because now we can say that we serve, worship, and uh, have a God who is alive. Not dead, a God who is alive. That is why we can sit here in this room today and gather together and know that our faith makes sense. And know that our love for each other makes sense because it is from the God that lives. That is why in Acts 2.36, when Peter was talking to his fellow Jewish people, he said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Savior. He is now our Lord. He reigns over us. And He is our Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. He is our Savior. See, today, I, our, the encouragement is to have Jesus. Not only as our Savior, because many people just, just want that about Jesus. Especially this time. They just want a Savior. But we also need to have him as our Lord, that he can reign over us. Now, the question that I have with all this is, why would God do that? What would propel him to do this for us? What would propel him to give up his only son to die on the cross, to watch all that happen? Where our just deserts is death. What we deserve is to die because of our sins. I mean, he's a just God, isn't he? Did he actually like doing it? Did he, actually, did he cringe when he was doing it? Did he, did he have a hard time giving us Jesus to die for us on the cross? I've always wondered that. But before we, we, we saw a, a, script, a verse in, in, in the Bible that tells us what one of his intentions are, or one of, his, uh, one of the reasons why he did it, is I'm just going to say, have you ever done something because you actually just wanted to do it? Because it pleased you to do it? Because you wanted to do it? I know I've done so many things that, that I've done because I just wanted to do it. And I'm going to tell you one today. The reason why, uh, I'm going to tell you one today. Uh, I used to run all the time. I actually, I was training for a marathon, like a military marathon. It's called uh, Mountain Man. It's uh, 42 kilometers with 30 pounds on your back and uh, five, kilo- 
five kilometers of that, you portage your canoe, and then you launch it on the river, and then you paddle for 10 kilometers, and then you launch it again onto the shore, and then you run to the finish. So I was training for that, and I remember a week before the actual race date, I thought I wanted to do something that I've always wanted to do before, and it's to eat a burger that's called the Baconator. Have you guys heard of the Baconator? Can you guys think about it in your minds? Three patties, and in each patty, there's like like bacon in each of them, like three sides of bacon in each patty, like this. Right there. I ate that, and I finished it off in like a few minutes, maybe seconds, right after my last tr- long training day. Why did I do that? Because it pleased me. Because I wanted to. Now go back to the question, why did Jesus come to earth? Why did God allow Jesus to do that? Here's the, here's the answer. Ephesians 1, 3-5. Praise be to God, the Father, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He wanted it and he was pleased by it. What an amazing God we serve. His pleasure is to serve us even when that service to us means the death of his son. Now, if that's not good news, I don't know what is. Now, we are faced with a problem, with a particular solution. We had bad news, but now we know what the good news is. How do we respond to that? What do we say to that? This morning, I would like to encourage all of us that our response to that is faith. Faith. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have been justified by faith. And this same faith is what we use to access. See that? Access the grace with faith. You see that? We access God's grace through faith. But what is faith? Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I love this version in the New King James. Because uh, what the other translations would uh, translate as assurance is that word substance right there. Because in the Greek, it's the actual literal translation in the Greek. In the Greek, it's like sub and then stands. Sub means under and stands is stand. Faith is what stands under. It's what supports the hope that we have. 
That is faith. But it's not only a belief. It is also action. James talked to us about that in James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but, also, but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Faith is belief with action. It's not just thinking and hoping. It is actually following through with that belief. That's what James says. When we act in faith, that is what we do. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is why faith is so important to us. If you look at... uh, Many of the miracles of Jesus, when he healed people, he looked to the people's hearts and to their faith. And it's, it's a, you know, Jesus would say, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. Be to you as your faith. Right? He would say that. Because it, it makes sense that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It makes sense that faith is the one that pleases. Uh, faith is what we have that, uh, that pleases him. Now, our response is faith. But how do we respond to the good news in faith? How do we respond to the gospel in faith? I'm going to show you a verse, and it's going to tell us that our response in faith to the gospel is to obey it, to obey the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. In flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus, they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Now, the first time I read that verse, it struck fear in my heart. You would agree with me that this verse is a harsh verse. But be that as it may, God tells us the truth and the fact of the matter. That those who do not obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ will see eternal destruction. It sounds harsh. Yes. But you might ask the question, well, how does one respond to the gospel by obeying the gospel? How does one obey, remember, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? I thought that was the gospel. How do we obey that? Well, we need to do the same things. We need to die, be buried, and rise again. Paul tells us that in, first, in Romans 6, 3-4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Isn't that amazing? 
But Paul continues in Romans 6, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, he will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this, like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We die and we are buried in the waters of baptism. When we raise, we are a new creation created by God. That's why this verse will now make sense. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. Remember the problem that we had earlier? That's where we were. We could not do anything to sort the problem out for ourselves. We needed God's solution. But after God has grabbed us and taken us from darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves this next part now rings true to us because we are now a new creation for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do that is the grace of god he allows us to do that in our earthly bodies so that his spirit can work in us and the fruit will be demonstrated in us. Now, let's go back to that harsh verse. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 to 9. That's harsh. And again, when I read that, I thought, this is too harsh. I don't know if I should put this up here. I don't know if I should talk to you about it today. But you know what? In a few minutes, or maybe a few seconds, we're going to sing the song of invitation. It's called Amazing Grace. In that line, in that song, there's a line that goes, "Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." If this verse does not bring fear in your hearts, I don't know what will. I hope it does. It, it did me. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. It was grace. This the grace of God that 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 put that in the in his in his word in the scriptures. So that we can know what it is like for him and his truth and his righteousness. But what's the line after that in the song? What's after, "Twas grace that taught my heart to fear? Do you guys remember? It's grace my fears relieved. It's the same grace that teaches us to fear. It's the same grace that takes away that fear. It is. Because you remember what we were like when we had that problem? We were dead. We were separated. We were excluded. We were foreigners. We were without hope. We were without God in the world. Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5, 6, and 19, Paul tells us the grace of God that takes away all that fear. He says, because of God, through Jesus, we can be alive with Christ. We can be raised and seated with Christ. We can be fellow citizens with God's people. We can, we no longer, we're no longer foreigners and strangers. We are members of God's household. We are saved by grace. Brothers and sisters, friends, today the message of hope 
of the gospel of the good news is salvation. And this morning, as we sing the song of invitation, I would like to invite you. As we see this picture here, see the hand. I love that because that hand tells me and he gives me gives gives a, a visual in my mind that God, Jesus, salvation, hope and grace is just within my reach. It is within your reach. You can have that for yourself today. There's no better time than today. You know it in your hearts. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Today is the day of salvation. Please come forward if you have any needs or if you would like to put on Jesus in baptism so that you can be, you can die, be buried, and rise with him in newness of life. Now is the time. Please rise.